Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. COVID-19 lay bare the Achilles heel of global trade. As just-in-time delivery supply models collapsed, so too did demand. But not all of Canada's exporters and importers were hit equally, and some are recovering faster than others. I had an opportunity to speak with the Chief Trade Commissioner, Ailish Campbell, following her members-only webinar titled, The State of Trade, Adapting to New Realities. And she says she's seeing green shoots for those who have adapted, but it's been a long, hard fight back, and that fight continues. For the first half of the year, the auto sector saw a more than 37% tumble in exports. So I started by asking her, has COVID killed our love affair with the automobile? That's a really interesting question. Uh, But as I launch into that question, we should really think of this first and foremost as a time of a health crisis. And so what's happened across all segments of the economy is a huge diminution of demand as people quite rightly, were inside their homes, they were sheltering. Uh, Then we went into, in Canada, and where I am in Ottawa, we went into phase two after about eight weeks. And even then in phase two, there was a lot of encouragement to leave the house only for essential items, essential shopping, essential work. So there was a huge suppression of demand across a number of sectors. And as you can imagine, I think we'll layer on to this, that automobiles, although you can absolutely love going online and looking at cars as my husband does, it's not something that you will necessarily purchase online. So you have this additional effect that it's not like purchasing a piece of clothing or a mask or even shopping online for your groceries. So what we saw is that autos and auto parts are down 16 billion during the first half of this year compared to the same period last year or uh, about almost 40%, you know, year to date. Autos make up about one third of the cumulative decline in Canadian exports. Now they're joined unfortunately by a whole series of other exports that are also uh, seeing declines because of this demand suppression as a result of the health crisis. Now what we are seeing already are the green shoots uh, in June and July. We're really excited. Uh, to see some of the summer numbers because our hard work uh, of trying to flatten the curve has really paid off. And we're expecting to see a surge just like we did, for example, in the recent housing data of more people coming back onto the marketplace uh, and looking at uh, buying an automobile that they might not have uh, because of the the health conditions. I, I would just layer onto that there's a lot of people, I don't know about, about you, but we're certainly looking at how we commute to work. And people may also be in the market for used cars. So that's that's a whole other market um, that could emerge here. You talk about demand suppression. We won't catch up on lost restaurant visits. That's right. But if your husband's interested in buying a car, he's pushing back that purchase. Do you anticipate, and particularly with the green shoots that we're starting to see, that a lot of that demand suppression will see a release and that we'll eventually play catch up? Is is that wishful thinking or is that a realistic expectation? I think what we want to talk about, Michael, is the increase in demand. So we were at, you know, incredibly high positive numbers, for example, um, on exports uh, in Canada. 
last year, we hit uh, a really fantastic high watermark of 729 billion of exports and goods and services. And as we just talked about, there is this trough we hope that we've hit um, in terms of demands. And we, we can actually talk about um, the restaurant sector because I, I think that's, I, I myself am a former waitress and bartender. So I think it's it's actually incredibly important to talk about those domestic facing service industries that have been deeply hit. But my job now uh, is focused on exporting. And to your point, we won't necessarily make up all of those gains that we've lost, absolutely not, because we're also uh, in a context where millions of Canadians uh, have either got reduced hours, lower hours, or now unfortunately are unemployed and looking to get back into work. And we hope, again, with a focus on health, uh, a focus on those measures that we need to take in order to, to be healthy, we can then bring the economy back online. So it's a coming up from that trough, but this is the really unknown question, right? And Peter Hall, the chief economist at EDC, and Mary-France Paquette, the chief economist at Global Affairs Canada, and I talk about this all the time. It's what is that new normal going to look like? It will be lower than the rate of consumption we were looking at before the crisis because we're still not yet at making the economy whole. The virus has not yet been completely suppressed or we haven't found a vaccine yet to do universal vaccination. So we're not yet there. So the real question that we're watching and every month, again, where I draw hope from is seeing that we are coming back from the bottom. To stay with the automotive sector to a degree, merchandise trade with the U.S. fell in the first six months of the year, almost 19%. How much of that was in Ontario with the automotive sector versus Alberta with the energy sector? Mm -hmm. Great question. Well, both sectors trade with the U.S. was hard hit during the first half of 2020. Ontario autos trade had a deeper trough, uh, two-way Year over, year over year trade, uh, which is a number that we really look at, was down 91% in April, whereas Alberta crude oil was down 74% in May. But as of the latest data in June, and this is why everyone's, you know, you got to stay glued to the latest uh, information and data that we're getting. It's, of course, looking backwards. Uh, we could talk about some now casting data in a moment, but in terms of data that we have now from Statistics Canada, as of June, autos recovered much more quickly. So as of June, Ontario auto and auto parts were 31% below June 2019 levels, right? Compare that to the, the 91% down in April. For Alberta crude oil, um, as I say, that lowest moment was in May, down 74%. It's now down about 60%. Oil was, of course, hit with challenges on multiple fronts, Michael. Not only did COVID-19 send a demand shock through the global economy, but the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia depressed prices. And the Canadian industry was also having challenges in getting product to market. And one of my jobs is to advocate incredibly strongly uh, for trade of our fantastic energy prices, where we are applying important environmental pricing. Uh, we're reducing the GHG intensity per barrel uh, of our oil. And uh, we certainly, as trade commissioners in the US and also in Asia, are working incredibly hard to get um, our energy products to both the U.S. and more diverse markets. Oil prices, you know, just to update you as of, you know, kind of the now, they have recovered slightly, but Western Canadian Select, of course, is trading around $30 a barrel, which is about $10 lower than last August. Right. They say that for oil, the solution to low prices is low prices, and that eventually this is a system that 
that balances itself. But how do we get that Western Canadian select markets when we're having such difficulty getting pipelines built? That is absolutely part of the challenge. And that's why you've seen, uh, of course, uh, the federal government working hard to complete the pipeline to the West Coast um, on LNG. And for oil, I think it's incredibly important that we keep working on the Keystone XL project to the United States. And uh, in that respect, continuing to uh, work on all of the environmental, uh, social, Indigenous participation and Indigenous consultation uh, is incredibly critical. I'm looking at merchandise trade with the United States falling almost 19% in the first six months of the year, but 25% almost for Mexico. What's the disconnect there, considering it is one of our major trading partners, if not only the automobile industry, certainly agriculture and others. Why the widened gulf between us and Mexico versus the U.S.? Mexico is an incredibly important market for Canada and one that we've seen increase with NAFTA and now the new Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement in place. Mexico is a place, Michael, that we'd like to see even more trade diversification. So you're bang on to focus on autos and we can talk about that. But just before I you know, talk a little bit about the numbers, want to say that this is uh, a place where telecommunications, education services, um, we think that uh, infrastructure, partnerships on health and healthcare and ICT, there's so much opportunity because the demographics in Mexico are also really powerful. It's a, it's a, it's a younger country. And we think that together, Canada, the US and Mexico are incredibly competitive on the global stage, which is why, again, we're thrilled that uh, we were able to complete uh, with the leadership of, of now Minister of Finance, Christian Freeland, uh, Minister Champagne, uh, and hardworking officials like Steve Rehuel, the new Canada-US-Mexico agreement. Two-way merchandise with trade is down uh, more than 25% year to date. It's, it's about six and a half billion less compared to last year. Autos account for a little under half of that decrease. They're down 43% or about 2.8 billion. Autos, as you said, Michael, are the largest industry, uh, the largest sector in Canada, Mexico, US trade. The next two largest segments of our trade are also down. Machinery is down 20% or about 700 uh, million. And electrical machinery is down 28%. That's worth about a billion. So all other products as well are also, you know, hit by the COVID-19, you know, demand shock. The decline, as we talked about earlier, is broad-based, but autos have been hit particularly hard. The services sector saw more than 15% decline in trade, but that seems to be largely the airline industry. Is that industry having an outsized impact on the economy, or does a near 4% decline in commercial services have a greater impact than a 15% decline in planes? Sure. Well, let, let me say, first First of all, you know, we have an incredibly strong and very important airline sector, airline industry in Canada. And we are unusual in the world. I think sometimes, you know, I, I remind my team, our team, that we are counter so many trends in Canada. We're an incredibly vast country, a big country with uh, low human capital intensity per square kilometer. Um, and as such, we really need strong, dynamic, regional, local, as well as global carriers. And then that connectivity, as you know, out to the world is very important uh, for our international students, for our services, trade, banking, and financial services. Just that 
that global connectivity uh, is is incredibly important also to Asia as we finish and are ramping up our trade with Asia and the comprehensive and progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. So I, I do want to give a shout out to uh, our, you know, incredible uh, pilots and mechanics and, and people that have maintained that connectivity, not least because, Michael, we, we do have a vast majority of our trade coming into Canada, particularly from, from the U.S. and the U.S. and Mexico by land, trucking. We, we have maintained essential supply chains, but air has been very important, um, including, uh, and kudos to the Indian government on essential medicines, uh, those flights, particularly for some of those um, pharmaceutical goods, um, for PPE and masks, have been incredibly important. So I, for one, am very grateful to that to that uh, industry for their hard work to to maintain the logistics supply chain. Apart from travel services, services trade itself has held up relatively well, at least in comparison to merchandise trade. So excluding travel. Two-way services trade is only down 7% year-to-date, and that's because a lot of services have have pivoted or already were uh, able to be delivered through um, digital and not requiring face-to-face interaction. So travel services normally account for roughly a quarter of services exports. Um, They're incredibly important across Canada from coast to coast to coast. I think it's almost a 38% year-to-date decline in tourism has indeed had a larger impact than the relatively more shallow decline in commercial services of about 4%, even though commercial services are a larger category. So it's, as you say, that that outsized impact of the tourism sector's decline on services writ large. Uh, We've exported about $6.5 less in travel services during the first half of this year compared to that same period in 2019. uh, only, although it's still a big number, 1.5 billion less in commercial services over that same period. Additionally, I just I want to note uh, because we're we're huge tourism fans ourselves. We love traveling to Nova Scotia every summer. We unfortunately weren't able to travel to Nova Scotia this summer uh, because of their quarantine restrictions. But you know, travel has and travel services have a lot of spillovers in places across Canada and rural areas depend completely in some cases on tourism. And uh, many people, including young people, rely on those jobs that are related to the hospitality industry. So that's where we're seeing, you know, a a really deep, um, you know, set of um, contractions in the in the economy that are, you know, of course, really concerning and why the social policies that the government has enacted, particularly the emergency response benefit, the CERB, are really important at this time. You mentioned PPE. What lessons has Ottawa learned about securing supplies of essential goods? Is there a policy initiative here to ensure PPE and medicines are available in-country, whether it be the second wave of coronavirus or COVID-20? Sorry, Michael, you've just uh, you've you've completely uh, thrown me for a loop there. COVID twenty. I'm I'm still frankly trying to deal with number nineteen. So much attention has been placed on the gearheads and PPE supply, but what about securing the food supply and the inputs needed? Because we know that some products are more susceptible to supply chain disruptions than others. Mm-hmm. That's a really important question. So ensuring food production and supply is critical for Canada. And when you look at the high level of food purchases and exports, this is a sector that appears to be doing, relatively speaking, very well. But the industry has experienced enormous challenges during this time. Uh, if you'll recall, in March and April, there was stockpiling of food. 
There were um, certain products that were running out. And of course, restaurants and bars shut down. And these rapid shifts required pivoting and redirecting food sales to an extent never seen before. So the government introduced a host of programs to support this industry. We saw uh, an almost 80 million emergency processing fund to help food producers access PPE for their workforce to adapt to health protocols and automate or modernize their facilities. Uh, we think that's incredibly important. Uh, there's also initiatives, agri-recovery, uh, to fund producers faced with additional costs incurred by COVID-19. And we launched the first ever surplus food purchase program with an initial 50 million fund designed to help redistribute existing and unsold inventories. Um, I think as well, we've seen a focus on understanding the labor supply aspects that are so critical to our production in Canada. And British Columbia has had a number of programs that I want to recognize too. This It requires huge collaboration uh, with provincial colleagues in order to have uh, safe, secure, uh, reliable uh, labor Entering Canada, picking our crops. These are these are people who do uh, an incredible service and an incredible job for Canadians and our food exporters. So I want to recognize their work as well. But how do we ensure things like fertilizers, which we rely on the world to provide us to make that food in the first place, is secure in Canada? It, it seems like it's a, it's a longer tail issue that needs to be resolved and doesn't get resolved overnight. But um, as we secure those who are coming into the country for the purposes of cultivation and, and harvesting, what though about just getting the stuff in the ground in the first place? Sure. Well, I mean, Canada is incredibly fortunate on the fertilizer front uh, in terms of having indigenous supply. We have our own supply uh, of fertilizers. Uh, but as well, you know, supply chains and securing those supply chains has been the essentially around the clock work of the Trade Commissioner Service around the world, working with logistics suppliers. Uh, I talked about airlines, warehouse, uh, warehouse supply. That, that work um, has been subject uh, because of some export restraints, some export controls of other nations. At certain times, we have seen uh, supply bottlenecks, and we have dealt with those, uh, I think, incredibly well. But it does, to your point, underscore the importance of looking at something we call supply chain vulnerability. Our State of Trade Report 2020 outlined the sectors that uh, we rely on most of, for, of, of imports and also taking a look at not only just where we rely on imported product, but where that imported product is coming from. And if there's a concentration of where that product is coming from of only one or two countries, those are some of the areas that we're going to be focusing on uh, with incredible uh, diligence in the year ahead. And uh, the, the issue is particularly where there are goods that cannot be substituted. I mean, we might experience a moment where our favorite food uh, or a food that's, you know, that's important to our family is not available. And in that sense, we're hoping that people can pivot in the short term to substitutes. The real uh, concern, uh, particularly for, for, for my team, is on areas where there are not good substitutes. And that's particularly um, an issue around medicines. And again, we've, we have an incredibly healthy generic uh, medical uh, production champions here in Canada, uh, but sometimes specific medications, we rely on international trade partners. So looking at those issues uh, is something we're already actively involved in. 
There is a lot of talk about how COVID-19 will change the future forever. In which ways has COVID-19 changed trade forever? I think COVID-19, Michael, has really made us rethink how we operate. Companies and organizations never forget. I mean, I'm thrilled to be Canada's Chief Trade Commissioner and work with our incredible global team, but trade is a private sector-driven exercise. This is companies, entrepreneurs, teams around the world and in Canada that every day had to make rapid adaptations. This is logistics suppliers, this is truckers, uh, this is warehousers having to shift rapidly to new ways of working, going digital with online shopping, uh, creating more digital visualization of their supply chain so that they could identify bottlenecks earlier. This is something that uh, this whole kind of digital transformation and the, the need for real-time data is going across the sector. And we're going to see a, a lot of, I hope, new business models, but also just new business practices really reinforced because of this period. I mean, through all of this, products and services have continued to cross borders. And there's you know, no reason to think that business people, service providers, engineers, you know, won't resume selling abroad once it's safe to do so. We, we do expect to see, again, a recovery, but it will not be at the same level we anticipate for several years, much like the coming out of the global financial crisis. There's also a lot of discussion uh, around reshoring, uh, particularly in the United States or nearshoring supply chains. And I want you and your listeners to know that uh, ourselves, our colleagues uh, at Finance Canada, of course, directed by ministers are looking, uh, not only looking, but actively involved in discussions around ensuring that we understand the policies of our competitors and that Canada keeps pace in order to continue to show the value proposition of locating a business in Canada. Uh, we have maintained, uh, I think, uh, you know, a really strong focus on health, and that's been noticed around the world. I get to talk, you know, even on Zoom, even on uh, other platforms, I get to maintain a lot of conversations with global business. And Canada's, our, our entire country's dedication to health and wellness and really our, our collective impulse to take care of one another has really been noticed. And that's something we're gonna take forward uh, into the future as well, that we know we can adapt quickly. And that really has been noticed by others. Canada has you know, lowered the curve. I think we've also learned a lot of lessons uh, since March that we can apply, as, as you noticed. Uh, you, sorry, as you mentioned, COVID-20, I'll, I'll again keep this focusing on number 19 for now. But there's been a lot of lessons learned too uh, that I know we're going to apply in the future. I'm, I'm, you know, really interested in how we can continue to maintain confidence so that uh, people do feel that they can reemerge out of this phase two and even phase three cycles and feel confident um, about particularly domestic businesses and getting back to. Uh, exporting plans that they may have postponed. We have a number of programs, the Can Export program, that we can apply if people want to sell their products digitally. I think that e-commerce channel for sales is, we've seen huge increases. You've, you've seen the market cap of Shopify just take off during this period. We're thrilled to see the number of merchants Shopify is enabling to sell their products online. That's some of the aspects that we're also going to be focusing on as you say, when, when things do change, 
how can we adapt and, and find the positives? Because growth is incredibly important uh, in order to maintain our, our, our mental health, uh, our employment health, and also our fiscal health. Commissioner, thank you so much for your time and insight. Really appreciate it. Take care, Michael. Ailish Campbell is Canada's Chief Trade Commissioner. Still to come, from a physically distant C.D. Howe, August 31st, New Ways of Working, Reinventing Your Business in the Age of COVID-19. September 9th, we'll get the outlook for Canada's recovery from Chief Economists Craig Alexander of Deloitte, Stefan Marion of National Bank Financial, and Doug Porter of BMO Financial Group. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Stay safe. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.